those of you who got prayed for, you feel like God's kind of touching you and have a sense of just sort of God's nearness? Cool, cool. Um, we'll make some more space for, for a little bit more here in a little bit. Um, but I want to go ahead and, and get started uh, with the message. And, and I've shared this story before, so some of you, you just need to bear with me. I'm sorry. Uh, but I grew up uh, in a Lutheran church, and um, in my time in the Lutheran church, I don't know how you, like, how many of you kind of grew up in denominational churches that observed the entire church calendar? Like, you know, the, the whole thing, right? Uh, and so I grew up in this, the, this environment where, like, we would do Advent. You guys know Advent. Advent is a season that leads up to Lent. And we have to go to church on Wednesday nights, right? So you go on Sunday mornings, but for, like, four weeks, you add an extra service a week that you go to, right, right? And then, and then I- in the short period between Christmas and Easter sometimes, sometimes extremely short, all of a sudden we're back to going to church again in Lent on Wednesday nights. And so I grew up in this, in, in this experience, right, where I was like constantly, like there would be a season of like more church, more church, right? And I, I remember this, this time I was playing with a, a friend of mine and my mom came out, and, and this was in the days when kids actually played outside by themselves without their parents. Um, we're playing across the street, and uh, my mom comes out, and she says, we got to get ready to go to church, and this is Wednesday night. And I just got so mad. I just got so mad, and I looked at my friend who was not a Christian, and I was like, it's lucky to be you. You don't have to go to church on Wednesday night. Like, I just hated this. I, I hated extra church and on and on and on. And I found myself sort of envying a friend who didn't have to go to church. Any of you ever felt that way? You envy a friend who doesn't have to go to church? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this, but throughout the, the, the American church paradigm, the American church spectrum, do you know that the 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 church and the people in the church don't, it's indistinguishable on statistics versus those who are not followers of Jesus. If you look at things like porn addiction and divorce and, and sort of the, the markers that you would say, well, these are followers of Jesus and so clearly they are different, right? The markers are indistinguishable in our culture. I don't know if you guys keep track of that stuff, like Barna Research or Pew Studies and things like that. But what, what all the studies would say is sitting in here on a Sunday makes you no different than anybody outside. You guys aware of that? Like, it's not exactly news to you, right? How many of you that's like, whoa, really? I didn't know. Something happened. Uh, <laughs> and so often, the other thing is, is that in, our, in churches, we've been quick to adopt whatever the culture is doing, right? Up until the, the end, or up until the, the like, sort of advent of no-fault divorce, in a, in a church, divorce would have been horrible, right? Like how many of you were, I mean, come on, some of you were in churches before that, right? And that was a, a bad thing, right? Like these people got it, and it's shameful. And then no-fault divorce came, and what happened? The church all of a sudden was like, well, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. You know, it's not good for you, but we really don't want to like, we don't want to step on anybody's toes. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to look different, Right? Let's bring this up a little bit a little bit more recent, and here's where I'm going to step on everybody's toes, or some of you. Up until recently, gay marriage wasn't a thing, right? You guys know that. 
And then all of a sudden we started like it, we started to find like s- states where it was like, well, it's legalized here. And what did a lot of churches do? Hold on, we got to figure out how to get caught up with culture, right? Have you seen that? That traditionally what the church has done way back when we started is we set culture. That followers of Jesus set culture. You know, in the first se- a few centuries after Jesus, the Christians were the ones that adopted the babies that everybody else was trying to, to dispose of. Do you know that? Like, they would set them out outside the walls and to let them be either, like, exposed to the elements or consumed by wild animals. And what the Christians would do is they'd run around the walls on the outside, and they'd pick up all the babies, and they would adopt them all. And after a while, the people in the culture started going, hey, wait a minute. The Christians are treating our people better than we're treating our people. We need to change. But now we don't do that, right? Like the church is sort of lagging behind. We're trying to keep up and trying to get caught up with culture. Have you seen that in the church? Have you seen that the church tends to envy, at least lately, envy people who are not followers of Jesus at some level? I mean, probably many of us have have had that happen, right? How many of you looked at your bank account and you're like, man, if I would only stop following Jesus, I wouldn't have to give this money to the church. Right? Look at all my friends who don't follow Jesus. They get to keep all their money. Right? How m- honestly, honest, have you thought that? Like I have looked at my budget before and gone, man, that's a chunk of change. Right? And we find ourselves a lot of times envying culture. There's nothing that distinguishes us a lot of times. So we've been in this series through Malachi that we're calling Dead Religion. And the whole idea is Malachi was sent to Israel when Israel started to, like, walk away from God. So they had, gone, they had been exiled. They come back. They rebuild the temple. Here we are. We're, we're worshiping God again. We're back into doing the sacrifices thing. We're back into, like, the, the one true God is present again with us. And yet something felt off. Something felt off. God's presence didn't seem so near. It doesn't feel so close. And so the people of Israel began to just go through the motions and cut the corners where they needed to. And, you know, like we talked about last week, withhold the tie that that God had invited them to participate in. They began to do things that made them look like the other cultures around. And Malachi's call was, Return your whole heart to God. Return your whole heart to God. I said in the first week that the the lens through which you read Malachi, the lens through which you read any of the prophets who are bringing judgment to Israel is, I have loved you. That this is the way God thinks of his people. Before there's any correction made, he says, I have loved you. We are in covenant relationship. And so the reason I bring this to you is because I want better for your life. If we don't read it like that, we end up yelling at people, right? Like you've seen those guys with the signs. Right? You're going to burn in hell, right? You, uh, some, how many of you are those guys? No? Okay, good. Just checking. <laughs> Just want to know what I have to look forward to. Uh, so... <laughs> We're going we're gonna to read uh, the, the last section. So, so all through Malachi, he breaks down his addresses sort of in these individual sections. Of their, their, like, here's the challenge. And last week we talked about withholding the, the whole tithe. 
Okay, and this week we're going to look at the second to last message in this uh, in this series. Next week, you guys should be here. Uh, Elizabeth uh, Ebling from uh, Overflow is going to be here to bring the last message, so that's going to be exciting. Ebling or Ebling? Ebling. I'll get it right one of these days. You say tomato, I say tomato. So we're going to look at Malachi 3. If you, if you don't have a bio- Bible, grab a Bible from up here. If you do, flip to Malachi 3. We're going to begin in verse 13. And here's what we read. Malachi 3, verse 13 says, You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it's futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. And we're going to stop right here for just a minute. Israel's doing the same thing that we tend to do, which is we sort of seem to look at culture and go, man, something about that life looks good. You see, the call on, of God on your life, when God invites you into relationship, it makes you weird, right? For those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, there was a time when you were not as weird as you are now, right? I mean, just think about it for just a minute. You look out of place and off balance everywhere you go if you're in relationship with Jesus, right? Like, we pray for people to be healed. We put hands on people. That's, that's just weird, just period, right? Try that on the bus if you don't say anything. They just put the hands on somebody. It's weird, right? Like, you get arrested for something like that, right? You p- we put hands on people and pray for them to be healed, believing that it's going to happen. That's weird. That's just weird, Right? We walk around saying God speaks to us. I've had a number of people in here, when I share what God has spoken to me, they go, God seems to talk to you a lot. I'm like, well, he talks to you a lot, too. You just can't hear it. But that's weird, right? Like, you know, like, it's sort of like my have my imaginary friend who talks to me, too, right? It's weird. Like, there's plenty of other things, right? Like, we walk around with believing we have the authority to cast out demons. If you just believe in demons, it's weird. Now, right? And now, like, walk out like walk out in the mall and say, hey, everybody believe in demons. Like, everybody just freaks out, right? That's weird. We believe that we have the authority to cast out demons. We believe that in everyday life, we have been given the charge by God to represent him. That's weird. We give our money to the church. That's weird, right? That's weird. There's plenty about following Jesus. That's where we read a book that was written thousands of years ago. By, like it was finished thousands of years ago by a bunch of different people. And we say, God wrote that book. That's weird. You don't know it if you're a follower of Jesus and have been doing this for a little while, how weird that is. But do you, those of you who remember the days before you knew and followed Jesus, you thought people who did these things were weird, right? I know I did. God speaks to you? Oh, come on. Give me a break. Right? We fast. How many of you, honestly, we fast, right? Not so much in America, right? The expanding waistlines, right? Myself included, right? 
But we fast. This is a biblical call that we fast, that we pray, right? These are weird things to do. We use our resources to help people who will never pay us back, and nor could they. Even the most, like, generous people sort of expect some kind of, like, you know, at least I'm going to get recognition for helping people, right? We, we hope that nobody recognizes us, that people see Jesus, right? That's a little bit weird. Think about how inconvenient this lifestyle looks to everybody around you. If you actually live this lifestyle, it looks weird. And yet, the lifestyle comes with these amazing benefits, right? Like, there's some amazing benefit to following Jesus. You know, uh, having an intimate relationship with Jesus, uh, you are in a relationship with the creator of all things. That's an awesome benefit, right? You experience a love that everyone else chases after in people. Do you know that? Like the love that you experience, it's, a, it's, it's the thing everybody wants and they don't know how to get. You, you just don't know how weird that is, but how cool that is. You get to participate with God in things that seem impossible. How many of you have ever put your hand on somebody, prayed for them, and seen them healed? Does that freak you out or what? Every time it happens, I'm like, no way! And yet the book says that we do it. Right? Every time you've prayed for somebody and they got healed, there's part of you that's like, no, you're kidding, right? Right? We participate with God in things that seem impossible. You get the security of knowing that the creator of the universe has saved you. Do you know what kind of security that provides you? Like, you don't have to pretend to be something you're not. Like, this is amazing. You get to live your life the way it was always intended and really know and learn, for me, right? Learn who you were created to be. You get to do that. Do you know most people live their whole lives not knowing who they are, right? They live out of this fake created self that's Facebook helps them do that, right? You post all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff on Facebook, right? We create this false self. You get to know who you were created to be. You get to live your life with an authority that rulers crave. Do you know that you walk around? No, no, I better not say that. Hold on. Back up. <laughs> president gets a little bit strange if you talk about the president of the United States. Uh, do you know... <laughs> That whatever, like, whoever the prime minister of the U.K. is, see, I had to change this one, dreams of walking in the authority that you walk in. Do you know that? And what a benefit that is in life. On top of that, after we get all that, you get to spend eternity with God. Some really great benefits for a really, really weird lifestyle, right? And yet, every last one of us, when we find ourselves apart from the presence and the nearness of God, trades it in a heartbeat. Don't we? We trade it in a heartbeat. When God seems distant, when God seems far from us, we no longer sort of experience these benefits. The lives of those people who don't carry such obligations begin to look appealing. 
You know, nothing's different from last week to this week. The thing that's broken all the time is the fact that you don't experience the nearness of God. Do you know that? That's the thing that's always broken. And separated from God's presence and nearness, we envy those who don't have a relationship with God because the things that God has invited us into begin to feel a little bit like obligation. And other people don't have quite the same obligations then, do they? Friend, if you look at someone who doesn't know Jesus and long for their life, it's the warning light on the dashboard of your relationship with Jesus that says, hey, something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. It's a sure sign that you've lost something of the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus. For example, if you, like I used to do, look at your neighbor who didn't leave to go to church this morning and was probably still sleeping, and you were like, man, I really wish I could sleep in like them. That's a problem. That's a problem. You've lost touch with the gift that God has given you. You don't have to go to church. Do you know that? You don't have to go to church. You get to gather with the community of God's people. And if you only knew what a gift that was, you'd never trade it in a heart uh, for anything. You get to gather with people who live into a reality of a kingdom that has come and is coming. You get to live in that. Do you know that? Do you know that sitting right here, you are sitting amongst the greatest, like, gathering of power in this city. I mean, say for all the other guys that are doing exactly the same thing we're doing. There's like, I don't know, 40 or 50 other ones that are happening right now. But do you know that this is the greatest gathering of power in the city? Like, that you're sitting in the midst of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in each and every one of you who follows Jesus, do you know you're sitting on a powder keg of possibility? This, I mean, you get to do this. There's no have to. You get to do this. You get to gather with people who are going to demonstrate to you grace and mercy. Where else in the world do you get that? Anywhere? Chuck E. Cheese? I should have timed that a little better. You would have spit it just right all over Colleen, back Colleen's head. Right? Where else do you get that? Where else do you get grace? And where else do you get a, a, a people who understand all of who you are, understand all the nasty that that is, and say, yes, but we have grace and mercy for you? And nowhere else. Nobody, everybody else expects you to, like, be right and do right. Either that or we'll all wallow in misery, but there's no hope that there's ever going to be anything different, right? You get to gather with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and experience the power of God. You get to practice your spiritual gifts. That's what, you know, that's what we do here, right? Like, that's why we worship. You get to practice worship here so that you can play out there. You get to practice praying for people here. Get, practice sharing words for people here so that you get to do it in real life out there. You get to practice this stuff. Isn't that cool? You get to participate with the rest of the body in communion. The thing we just did, for those of you who don't know, is the foundation of the story that we believe we're a part of. That we're a community that was born out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And we eat this meal every week. Why? Because we want to remember who we are, that we're a people of a story. You get to do that. You never have to go to church. You get to participate. Now, I wouldn't trade any of that for a little extra sleep. If you knew the power of God, there's no way you would envy people who are far from Jesus. There's no way. Do you know how much power resides here? Exactly. (laughs) Your experience of this time ought to be all the evangelistic nudge you need, right? If you get, if you experience the power of God in this place, how many of you have been in, in this place and experienced the power of God at some point or another, right? And you go, man, everybody needs that, right? Like I remember the, the first time that God touched me in like a powerful way, and I was like, if I could get everybody underneath that, the whole world would get saved, right? Nobody should be going, now go share your faith. You have to go share your faith. I mean, this stuff is so good. That should be all the nudge you need, right? Not only to get people, like, to come hang out with us, but you actually walk around with that power, too. So you can just do it right there. I've been leaning into this a little bit, which is really fun, is to go to a place like the coffee shop or the bar or, you know, wherever you hang out. And no shame in either one of those things. Uh, Go wherever you hang out. And just invite the presence of God. Do you know he's so faithful he shows up and it doesn't really matter where you are? You can demonstrate this there too. How about another example? All the time that we're talking about engaging those around you with your faith. And it may involve praying for them or sharing a prophetic word or or sharing your story or sharing the gospel with them. And over and over and over we lean on you to do this, right? Constantly saying, hey, you should do this. This would be really good for you. You should do this. But for some of you, that stirs anxiety, doesn't it? Some of you are like, <gasps> talk to people. No. Right? And it stirs anxiety. And you begin to look at those people around you who are either not followers of Jesus, so they don't have to share anything, or you look at people in churches that don't ever say, hey, you ought to tell other people about how good this is, right? And you start to envy them. And you start to go, man, I wish it was that way for me. It's normal. It's normal. It's normal to press into, like, nervous. You have a little nervousness whenever you go to, like, have a kingdom experience and encounter, right? That's normal. And usually it's accompanied with, like, this sense of excitement, right? What's going to happen? What is God going to do this time? It's an indication something is wrong with your relationship with Jesus when you look at envy at those who don't live a kingdom lifestyle. If you begin to go, I really wish I didn't have to live this kingdom lifestyle because it makes me uncomfortable. That's something wrong with your relationship with Jesus. There's nothing, 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 nothing like the experience of sharing uh, your faith with somebody and seeing them come to know Jesus. Some of you have gotten to do that. I mean, that's like, that's like the good stuff, right? That's the gooey brownie, right? Exactly. There's nothing like baptizing people that you have seen come to faith. If you, if you lead them to faith, you're going to baptize them. 
that's it's so cool. It's like one of the highlights of my life. There's nothing quite like sharing a word with someone that encourages and uplifts them, and you see their countenance change. There's nothing quite like it. There's nothing like praying for someone and seeing them set free of something that has held them for years. There's nothing like it. Why would we ever want to trade that? Why would we want to look like a culture that makes no difference in the world? Why would we want to do that? If you only knew the power of, of the life God has invited you into, you would be ruined forever for a life absent of that. Like I've said a lot of times, you know, if somehow somebody ever invalidated the whole of the Bible, I would still believe. And the reason is I've seen too much. I have seen entirely too much. So you can argue scripture all day long. I'll tell you this much. I've seen the power of God move. So you're going to have to figure out what that was. We'll have a conversation there maybe. For the Israelites, the absence of God's presence led them to envy the culture around them so much so that they began to despise what God had deposited in them. And so God confronts them all through Malachi. Here's what happens. Look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. We get to this point in Malachi, and a shift takes place, right? Like So the first three, the two and a half chapters come through, and it's all this confrontation. God is confronting the Israelites, and we get to this place where a turn happens. Did you see it? Did you see the turn that happens? Those who feared the Lord got together, had a conversation, and said, we got to think again. We got to turn around. We need to turn to the Lord. The biblical word for this is repentance. You guys heard the word repentance? You guys know the word? The word doesn't mean to feel guilty, right? A lot of us think that, right? Oh, to repent is to feel bad. Or to repent is to ask for forgiveness. Not what it means. Those things will be part of repentance, but that's not what it means. Repentance literally means to turn around and think again. Repentance looks like this. I was going this way. I realized this is the wrong way. I turn around and I start going the other direction. It accompanied with repentance always is a change in action. When you think differently, you do something different. I used to think that the drive from Target to my house was faster if I went through town. You guys know where Target is? Because it's more direct. Like if you look at a map, it's more direct. But a number of times, Jerry and I departed. You know, she goes on 99, I go through town. And a number of times, she got there before I did. And I realized that the drive is faster if you take 99. And so I take 99 now. Repentance. I mean, it's a crude, crude example, but isn't that what happened? I realized what I was doing was not as good as what I could be doing, and I changed my behavior based on what I understood. I thought again. Could it be that that was what God invites you into? I was talking to Mary and Dory yesterday, and, and I said, I'm going to talk about repentance. And she's like, oh, yeah, we, we, we know that one. I said, the longer I follow Jesus, the better I know that one. Right? Isn't that the call of following Jesus? 
when you discover a place in your life that you thought was right and God goes, hey, not there. It's over here. And you go, oh, okay, we're going to go this way. I used to believe that God didn't heal people anymore. And then I saw somebody get healed and I saw in scripture where God's doing that thing still. And I thought again. And now I pray for people to get healed. Do you see that? This is biblical repentance. It takes a humble spirit. It takes a teachable spirit in order to be able to do it. But it's the call of all of us. The longer you follow Jesus, the better you should get at it. Because you realize that you didn't know everything, right? I mean, I grew up and found out that I didn't really know anything. Let me finish this up. So the, the nation of Israel turns and they change their mind. And not all of them, just some of them. They write this stuff down. Say, see, this is what we're doing now. And it says this, verse 17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will be burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked, and they, they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. It's not until the nation chooses to repent and turn around in spite of what they see that God says, I will do this. The promise comes after the obedience. I don't know if you caught that. The promise came after the obedience. And really it wasn't the, the initial promise was beforehand. But whenever God confronted them, the reminder of the promise came after they said, yes, we'll return to relationship with you. I would imagine there's a number of us in this room that are in that spot. That we're in a place where maybe there's parts of our lives that look like the culture around us. And maybe for you, that's fear that has caused you to do that. But there's part of our lives that begins to look like the world around us. We've lost some of the weird. Because we've lost the presence of God at some level. Some of us have not experienced God's nearness in a while. And God's call to you is repent, and I will remind you of the things that I told you at first. 